Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Petco Park in San Diego. It's the Cleveland Guardians 7. The San Diego Padres nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we sweep the San Diego Padres in this tiny two-game series. I bet you did not see that coming. To start this West Coast trip, did you see a sweep coming of the San Diego Padres? Man, I mean, they played fantastic baseball. We played fantastic baseball against the NL West the entire season. And uh, the last time we faced San Diego was in Cleveland, and we split a doubleheader with them. We had a rainout, so that we split a doubleheader the next day. Of course, we had a rainout at home. And uh, now we go out there, and I mean, we just dominated this team. We just, I mean, the Padres are like literally at their low point of the season. Nothing's going right. Yes, Soto was out the, for these two games. He's having problems with his back. So, yeah, we get a little lucky there. But, I mean, we really, we faced two of their best pitchers in Clevenger and Snell, and we really, really took it to them. Now, Clevenger coming into that game uh, two nights ago. Yeah, he hasn't had the strongest August. He's 2-2 two and two in August with a 4-0 ERA, a 1-2-2 whip. Uh, gave up a few runs to the Marlins, pitched very well against the Nationals, uh, struggled against the Dodgers, and uh, started the month by pitching very well in Colorado. Seven innings, one run. So he's had an up-and-down month, and we beat him. He didn't pitch bad yesterday, but we beat him uh, in probably... I'll probably get one more start in August. Um, but Blake Snell had been pitching good coming into this thing. Uh, he had not given up very many runs in August. Now, I don't know what his ERA would have looked like before this game, but he's 2-2 two and two in August now with a 3-8-1 ERA. And I can tell you the ERA got worse uh, in this game against Cleveland. Uh, he had given up previously this month uh, he had given up one run to Colorado, one run to San Francisco, shut out the uh, Washington Nationals in six innings with 10 strikeouts. He was striking out a ton of guys with Snell. Uh, gave up a few runs against the Nationals the next time he faced them. Uh, pitched five innings, gave up three runs, still had seven strikeouts, though. And then we just hammer him. He hasn't been hammered like this since he pitched in Colorado back on June 14th, or July 14th. Uh, was the last time he gave up a big crooked number like this. Uh, so, yeah, he only lasts three and a third inning, gives up eight hits, six earned runs, three solo home runs, no walks, and only four strikeouts. So, really, Cleveland, I mean, being very aggressive against them. If you watched the TV broadcast of this game, I hope you did. Uh, they really had some fantastic information. I'm telling you, I'm digging the TV broadcast. Uh, I know Underwood is Underwood, right? He he tries a little too hard. Uh, Manny could be a curmudgeon old man. I think Andre Knott adds a ton of color from his position down. I'm glad he's not just a sideline reporter anymore. I'm glad he's a member of the team. Because, I mean, he, he talks about some of the things he gets to see from sticking his head in the dugout. He was talking about how Sandy Alomar Jr. and uh, Jose Ramirez are constantly interacting and talking about what they're seeing in the picture, reading body language. You know, Alomar will come over, and whether it's uh, something with the glove or the hands or the foot or, you know, or 
whatever it is, the shoulders. Like, you see it? Did you, did you see it? Miro's will be like, yeah, it's on. We got it. So they're constantly talking about what they're seeing in the pitchers, uh, constantly picking up on things. It's two brilliant baseball minds. Uh, and Andre Knight gets a firsthand seat to these interactions. So we really are uh, – I think it's I think it's really cool how much he adds to the game from his position there and hearing those interactions and hearing how Jose Ramirez evaluates pitching and what he sees and shares with the other players and the conversations they have. And it was clear that they had some conversations about Blake Snell. They knew what they were doing against Blake Snell. They were ultra-aggressive against him. I mean, swinging a ton at Blake Snell, especially that fastball. 44 fastballs. They swung 26 times. They only whiffed five times. Now, they did foul off 15 of them and only put six in play, which I was surprised to see. Uh... They were so aggressive, but they were fouling them off. Uh, they had much better success putting the ball in play off his slider and his curveball just when it comes to like foul balls versus balls actually in play. Um, yeah, I. but they were ultra-aggressive, and when they put it in play, it was dropping for hits. I mean, their bat bip on the day was pretty ridiculous. Uh, they did pretty good. Their expected batting average on the day was 303, whereas the San Diego Padres' expected batting average on the day was only 204. So they really were hitting some nice shots on the day. All right, so let's get into the details. Uh, that's enough backstory. That's enough color. i kind of setting up the details of the game, setting up the storylines of the game. So the top storyline of the game, it's a combination. The top storyline of the game is the fourth inning, but you can't start talking about the fourth inning until you talk about the solo home runs, because that's how we kick off the scoring in the fourth inning. So uh, even though it's the second storyline in the game, uh, Blake Snell gave up three solo home runs on the day. Again, it's not what the Guardians do. This is not the Guardians' way. But hey, when you get a home run, when you're making good swings, when you're reading the pitcher the way they are, or battling through at-bats the way they do, you're going to get some home runs here. So let's get into the three solo home runs. It starts with Jose Ramirez in the first inning. Uh, it's, you know, they, they record the first two outs of the game. So it's with two outs, nobody on base. Uh, he gets ahead of him on an 0-2 count. So he throws him three four-seam fastballs in this at-bat from the lefty. Now this is the right side of the plate where Ramirez doesn't have the same pop that he has from the left side of the plate. Uh, actually, what are the splits? Let's go to the splits and see what he is batting from the left versus batting from the right uh, versus the left-handed pitching. Uh, he's only hitting 259, only slugging 491. Against right-handed pitching, so from the left side of the plate, he's hitting 294, slugging 571. Uh, he's now had his 19 home runs as a left-handed hitter. He's now up to six home runs. He went into this game with four. He's now at six home runs versus left-handed pitching from the right side of the plate. So this is the uh, not the power side. The left side of the play would be considered the power side for Ramirez. But throw some three fastballs in a row here. And I remember watching this at back going, what are you doing? It's an 0-2 count. Why are you challenging him with a fastball up? You're asking him to drive this pitch. So he starts him off with a fastball uh, just above the belt, at the belly, middle of the plate that he fouls off. Throws him another fastball down at the thighs that he swings through for a strike. And then comes right back at the belly a little bit in. 
And he hammers this one, 98.1 miles per hour exit velocity, 371, 33-degree launch angle for a home run in the left center field. I mean, at first you think maybe the left fielder has a planet, but nope, it clearly sails way over his head and out for a home run. So I don't know why Snell throws him three fastballs in a row, but it's bad pitch sequencing, and you're asking Ramirez to hammer a fastball off of you by the time this at-bat's over. So then... He comes up to lead off the fourth inning. He says, okay, he, he throws him another fastball, this one for a called strike. Again, kind of down the middle. I don't even know why Ramirez took this one. Uh, but then he goes into his sliders. From the lefty, so these sliders are sweeping across at Jose Ramirez. Throws him one down at his feet, kind of, that he lays off for a ball. Throws him another one that's on the plate, but below the knees, that he swings through for a strike. Throws him another one. That's below the knees, on the plate, I mean, middle of the plate, and he hammers this one, 104.3 mile per hour exit velocity, a 21 degree launch angle, so a laser shot, 407 feet, for another home run in the left center field. And Snell is looking at his dugout and looking at his catcher like, what the hell? I didn't, I didn't give him a fastball. I kept the slider down. I did what I was supposed to do. I kept the slider down. Well, you showed him that's a third slider in a row. Do you think he's timed up your slider just a little bit? Do you want to mix in maybe another pitch? Do you maybe want to go with a high fastball up at the shoulders and then come back with another slider if you need to and change his eye level? But no, Snell, you threw him three in a row in the same spot. I mean, what are you expecting? So I, I can't believe the pitch sequencing here. And Ramirez makes him pay. I mean, Ramirez is on it the whole time. He's ready for it. He goes down with confidence and gets this one. And the thing I was looking at on his StatCast page was this is not a zone where he hammers the ball from the right side of the plate against left-handed pitching. He's got a couple of singles from down here. He hits some ground balls, some hard ground balls. He'll hit some, uh, uh, some line drives from this spot. But he's not hitting fly balls. Not from below the strike zone. Uh, actually, middle down in the strike zone, he will hit fly balls. 54% of the time, he'll hit a fly ball. But not below the strike zone. He just does not hit the ball in the air from the right side of the plate on a pitch down here. Well, he does now. He's got a home run there now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, very interesting. And then, on top of it, Oscar Gonzalez comes up. And he works a deep count. They work some deep counts in this fourth inning. Uh, really, I mean, a six-pitch at-bat here from Oscar Gonzalez. Naylor would have an eight-pitch at-bat. Uh, Owen Miller would work a five-pitch at-bat. Tyler Freeman would strike out on a ten-pitch at-bat. So really some long at-bats here then in the fourth inning. And Oscar Gonzalez on a six-pitch at-bat. Uh, this one, he would work the eye level a lot better. Starts him off with a slider way up over the head for ball one. Another slider that he fouls off. Now, he's going to be ultra aggressive. He's going to swing at the next five pitches. Oscar Gonzalez, he's going to swing. That's it's, uh, pretty much a given at this point. He is going to be up there hacking. So he fouls off a slider middle in uh, that bites in on him. Fouls off a four-seam fastball that was down but in the strike zone at the knees. Uh, fouls off a curveball. This is important. Fouls off a curveball down below the knees. Way down there, but he fouls it off. So he sees the curveball once. 
Now he does change the high level. He's learned. Comes back with a high fastball up at the sh- up at the letters, and he fouls that one off. So he tries to go back to the curveball, but he doesn't get it down. He doesn't get it down below the knees again. Instead, he hangs it right at the thighs. It's on the inside edge, and Oscar Gonzalez turns on it. 109.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 403 feet, a line drive, a missile uh, into those seats, into the uh, whatever that building is, that structure is in the left field corner. I know there's a famous name for it, but I'm blanking right now. This one would have been a home run probably in Cleveland, right? We talked about the one yesterday that might not have made it over the big wall in Cleveland. This one is definitely on the home run porch in Cleveland as well. This hit like two or three sections up that building. This was a missile. I mean, he got down and hammered this curveball. A curveball which he had seen earlier in the at-bat. So, uh, Snell doesn't get it down this time, and Oscar Gonzalez absolutely makes him pay. And how could you not love watching Oscar Gonzalez hit in the middle of this lineup? I mean, it really, it really has been fun watching Gonzalez hit. Yeah, he'll strike out. Yeah, he'll chase those sliders away. But he absolutely hammers this one. So now, uh, you know, Snell has now given up three solo home runs. Now the Guardians get to doing what they do. The real storyline of the game is they take these two solo home runs and they don't they're not just satisfied with that. They go on to rally. They have five more singles in this uh fourth inning. Naylor after an eight pitch at bat would smash a single 103.1 miles per hour off of Brandon Jury's glove. Snell doesn't even bother covering first base. He like waves Drury off like basically like eat it. Just eat it. We, he got a hit. Uh, then he Naylor, he throws back at Naylor at first base. Everybody's laughing about it. And then Naylor goes and steals second base off him. Just kind of a delayed, sleepy, catch the pitcher sleeping, steal second base. Makes a great slide. And uh, the dugout is just laughing their rear ends off. And Snell's out there just eating it this inning. Um, Owen Miller eventually works a single. He shoots a line drive into center field. Uh, 90.5 showed him all fastballs. Finally took one that was up on the plate and shot a line drive out into center field. Hey, I'll give Owen Miller credit when he's getting hits. I think his future is as a utility player, but uh, still, I'll take a utility player that can hit when he's in there. Uh, I don't love that Andres Jimenez had a day off, but hey, they got a lot of games coming up. So, all right. Uh, Owen Miller delivers a hit here. Uh, it puts runners at the corner. Then Tyler Freeman would work a 10-pitch strikeout. He battled, but he eventually strikes out, uh, f- frankly, to a fastball that's right down the middle. It just blew him away at 96.8 miles per hour. Uh, his hardest fastball he threw the entire at-bat. Uh, then Maley comes up, says, ah, forget this being patient stuff. Forget working the at-bat. I'm just going to hammer a slider uh, into left field, the line drive at 100.1 for an RBI hit. So he brings in Naylor to score. Runners on first and second. Bailey has been hitting fantastic since the All-Star break. You asked for a catcher that could hit to pair with Austin Hedges, and you're getting it in Luke Maley. This is exactly the kind of production you wanted by going and getting Oakland's catcher or somebody like that. Maley is delivering the hits. And then speaking of finally delivering some hits, Straw has two hits on the day, including a nice uh, an eight-pitch at-bat. Uh, gets a fastball uh, middle down, and he hammers it 102.3 miles per hour 
in the left field. It was hit so hard that uh, Miller can't score. It's bases loaded. It would drive Blake Snell out of the game. Steven Wilson comes in to face Quan, misses with a fastball, and then throws him a changeup that Quan with a check swing single down the left field line. This is where the Bat-Bib gods are shining on Cleveland. This is all luck right here. A check swing single, 69.4 miles per hour in the left field, uh, down the line. It brings in two runs to score. Straw goes to third, and Quan goes to second on the throw. And that would be the big one. I mean, that it's weird to say that would be the big one on a check swing single, but the real, I mean, with the bases loaded, uh, and to drop that down like that and bring in two runs, it'd be the only crooked number at bat, I guess, technically of the inning. So yeah, it was kind of the big one. And then Ahmed Rosario unfortunately flies out uh, in the next at bat, uh, flies out to right field, and Straw thinks he can tag and score really trying his speed out, and he is gunned out by a mile by Will Myers and uh, ends up sliding into Alfaro's legs. I mean, why wasn't why wasn't this a problem with blocking the plate when Austin Hedges' foot the other day was blocking the plate, you know? I mean, Alfaro drops the shin guard down and literally blocks the plate. Straw slides into him. You think, I mean, he looks like he can barely walk. You think, I mean, I, th- I legitimately thought Straw broke his ankle on this play. I was all prepared to come on and do a podcast where we're like, yeah, it sucks that a guy gets injured, but maybe this is a blessing in disguise. It opens up opportunity for other players. Straw struggling anyways. Uh, you know, I was getting, you know, he can reset himself for next season. I was getting all ready to do that podcast. And it turns out he's fine. He goes out there in center field and makes a fantastic running catch going all the way back to the wall in center field, leaping at the wall and pulling down a fly ball. A great job of tracking by the center fielder. It was really the second fantastic catch on the day that I remember. He had another one where he broke in and really read a ball really well off the bat and charged in and snagged a line drive that probably would have been a base hit um, earlier in the game. So another fantastic catch proving that, no, his ankle is fine. Whatever happened when he slid into home plate was fine. So, uh, yeah, so that's how the rally comes to an end. But what a rally. We drive Snell out of the game. Uh, so many singles doing it both in an unconventional way with the solo home runs and then doing it our way with five singles. Uh, I wouldn't say in a row because there is a Tyler Freeman uh, strikeout in the middle of that thing. But five singles in the inning. Bring in another three runs. So it's a huge inning for the Guardians. We're up 6 nothing at this point. We've knocked their pitcher out of the game. We've knocked all the momentum, all the energy out of uh, Petco Park. I mean, it was our park yesterday. We had all the momentum. So we would go on to add another run in the seventh inning. A nice little rally from the top of the order. Uh, Quan and Rosario with singles. Uh, Quan goes to th- first to third, and then Jose Ramirez brings him in with a sack fly. So his third RBI on the day uh, for our guy who's challenging for the league lead in RBIs has been all season. So a huge rally by our offense. Seven runs on 13 hits. I mean, they hard hit Snell one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Add three more hard hit balls after Castillo. Uh, where they get that rally in the seventh inning. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they were really hammering the ball on the day. Uh, so let's talk about the other side of things. I mean, the offense was just amazing. 
on the other side of things, Cal Quantrill was the bulldog that you expect him to be. Goes seven innings pitch, gives up five hits, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts, most of those coming early in the game. On 99 pitches, he's only hard hit six times. He was absolutely fantastic against his former team, pitching for the first time in San Diego since he was traded to Cleveland. And he was, I mean, he was so aggressive, throwing mostly the sinker and the cutter. Mostly those two pitches. Does not have a fantastic whiff rate on either of them, really. Uh, doesn't have a great whiff rate at all. Uh, eight whiffs on 47 swings. It's only a 17% whiff rate. Add in 16 called strikes, mostly on the sinker and the cutter. It's a 24% CSW total on the day. Uh, they were being aggressive against his pitches. Uh, they put 12 of those sinkers in play. The BAPIP gods were, you know, a lot of lazy fly balls, a lot of ground outs. Um, so good job for that. And then he was actually getting a lot of strikeouts on that cutter. He was making the left-hander suffer with that cutter. Now, two strikeouts come in that first inning. He strikes out the side in the third inning uh, and then adds another strikeout to end things in a tough seventh inning uh, for his sixth strikeout. Now, what pitches were those strikeouts coming on? Well, like I said, the cutter, he was throwing the cutter to the lefties, uh, gets uh, Trent Grisham with a high cutter, chasing a high cutter, gets Jerkson Profar chasing a high cutter on a 3-2 count, gets uh, Jake Cronenworth on an outside cutter uh, that he chases on a 3-2 count, and then gets Jerkson Profar looking in the very first at-bat of the game, gets him looking on an 0-2 count with a cutter up and in. Uh, and then on against the righties, he drops two curveballs. They're both against Jorge Alfaro. Uh, gets him to chase curveballs outside the zone twice. Once in the third inning on an 0-2 count. And then again in the seventh inning on an 0-2 count. So he really had Alfaro's number. Getting him to chase curveballs outside of the strike zone. Those would be his six strikeouts. Like I said, a lot of them come early in this game. And then he really does just kind of cruise through the rest of the game. He has to deal with a few runners on to lead off the fifth inning. In fact, he had to deal with Josh Bell all day, who was taking uh, easy shots down the left field line. He was going the other way. He had an approach, take an outside pitch, and hit it the other way. Bell was the only one who really had a good offensive day for the Padres. I would say uh, Bell and Kim, the shortstop, both had multi-hit games. So uh, they would do it here in the fifth inning. They would both single. So now he's got to deal with runners on the lead off the fifth inning. He had just, uh, you know, he had j well, he actually shuts them down. After we score all those runs in the fourth inning, he does what he's supposed to do and shuts them down with three ground balls in the fourth. They were talking about, like, oh, would he come out rusty from such a long top of the fourth inning? Nope. I mean, he really works a good bottom of the fourth, three ground balls. Then in the fifth inning, gives up two leadoff singles. But then fly out, fly out, ground out, gets him out of things in the fifth inning, and then the seventh inning, things would get hairy again for him. Another leadoff single, uh, Brandon Drury this time. He would get Bell out finally, a force out. Kim would single his second hit of the game. Will Myers would fly out, make it two outs. Grisham would walk. Quantrill was mad at himself. He wanted to get out of this seventh inning. He wanted this seventh inning, but he walks Grisham to load the bases. They leave him out there, and he just mows down Al Faro for his final batter of the game. Um, 
Let's let's look at the entire at bat here. It's a four pitch at bat against Alfaro. Starts him off with a cutter that he fouls off. Uh, throws him a two sink a two seamer sinker up and in that he fouls off as well. Throws him a cutter down. I mean, basically, you know, at the shins, and he fouls this one off, and then slows it down. It throws him the curveball in the same spot. Uh, it's an 84.8 mile per hour curveball, uh, velocity curveball. So really slowing things down off the cutter, and he swings through it for a strike. Gets him to chase another curveball down. Uh, so yeah, it's really good stuff from Cal Quantrill. Man, the variation in speed on that cutter. Um, he goes from 92.4 down to 86 miles per hour on this one uh, to Alfaro here. Uh, really a huge variation in speed on this cutter. I mean, I wonder if it acts more like a slider when he slows it down this much. Uh, I wouldn't say it has a much more horizontal break, uh, much more vertical break. So maybe it was the stat cast maybe have it wrong. that This pitch isn't a cutter, that it is more of a slider. I mean, his first cutter that he throws in the strike zone has 22 inches of vertical break, two inches of horizontal break. This one, it has about the same spin, 2,300 RPMs within that range. But this one has 39 inches of vertical break and three inches of horizontal break. So maybe it is a different pitch, and StatCast isn't picking up on it, but then drops that curveball. Big drop, 41 inches of vertical break on that curveball and gets him to swing through it for strike three. So he doesn't use the curveball a lot, but when he needed it, it was there. Um, Only throws it seven times on the day, uh, but gets two strikeouts on it. So that's nice that he's able to pepper that in uh, and use it effectively uh, throughout the game. So... I mean, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing spectacular about Quantrill's performance. It was just so solid. He was just so consistent and solid and aggressive all day, attacking the strike zone with that sinker, attacking the edges with that cutter, really throwing that cutter to all quadrants. Uh, really pounded. He pounds the sinker into the arm side of the plate, but he really does throw that cutter to all quadrants. Um, and yeah, he just, I mean, a rock solid seven innings. And we thought, remember, there was one point at the season where we thought Quantrill was only going to be good, uh, at home, right? His splits were saying he was only going to be good at home. Well, he has had some really good starts on the road. He had a good start up in Toronto, uh, recently, uh, that was earlier in August, two starts ago up in Toronto. He had a seven innings of shutout baseball on the road. Um, when was the last time he pitched on the road would be the White Sox. And he won that game, five innings pitched, two runs allowed. So he's won his last three starts on the road. Uh, let's see, let's go to those splits and see what those home and road splits look like now. Uh, now on the way games, he's got it up to four and five with a three, eight, six ERA. So, the splits are starting to look a little better on the road. So, honestly, it gives me a lot of confidence that no matter what a playoff series is going to look like, whether it's home or on the road, I've got confidence in Quantrill pitching. I mean, that's two playoff teams, uh, the Blue Jays and the uh, Padres. That's two potential playoff teams that he's pitched very well on the road. So I used to think, like, you're going to have to set it up so Quantrill pitches at home, right? Maybe you don't necessarily make him one or two if you need him to start at home. But uh, 
I think I I think he's good. I think he's good to go. Whether it's home or the road, Quantrill has to be up there. So I, it'll be really interesting to see. I think Bieber's going to get that first start just, uh, I mean, based on reputation, right? Because he's the leader out there. But I don't know if Bieber is actually our best pitcher. I mean, McKenzie and Quantrill are really making an argument for being our best pitcher. Savali is definitely making argument for being the fourth starter. Plesak might not get a start in the playoffs. He might be pitching out of the bullpen in the playoffs. Or uh, a really short start and then the bullpen coming in for him. Someone piggybacking off him. Maybe one time through the order and then Plesak's out of there. Remember, things get nuts when it comes to pitching in the playoffs. Things get really nuts. You don't see guys going seven innings like this, like Quantrill did. So, uh, yeah, it's a really good start from him. Sean De Los Santos have nice, uh, quiet innings, uh, and they shut him down. So it's a huge win from our Guardians over the Padres. And you know, I thought it was interesting because going into this series, I bet you a lot of no- a lot of national media would have never seen the Guardians just absolutely dominating the Padres like this. I went over to the Athletic, their power rankings for whatever power rankings are worth. They had the Padres at ten. Previously at 6 in their power ranking, 6th in all of baseball. They had dropped them down to 10. They have the Guardians at 12, and they had previously been at 12. So they see the Guardians are right around here, kind of at the bottom of the playoff teams. But they need to be start showing us some more respect. I guarantee we go up in these power rankings after this because, I mean, they clearly show that they think the Padres are a better team than the Cleveland Guardians. Now, granted, again, it's a Padres team without Tatis. It's a Padres team without Soto. But, I mean, it didn't matter. We faced two of their better pitchers, and we hammered these guys. We were all over them in this series. So, yeah, I think the perceptions are going to continue to change with the Guardians playing the way they're doing, extending their lead in the American League Central uh, to four games now over both Minnesota and the White Sox. Minnesota really on a losing streak at this point. They're also four games back in the wild card, so they're not even really challenging for the wild card right now. Obviously, they can get back into it, but it's a five-game losing streak for Minnesota. I saw them. I thought some things that were interesting in the uh, in the standings against teams above 500. Cleveland is actually playing really well. They're 33 and 26 on the season against teams above 500. Now, of course, they're playing well against the American League Central. Uh, they're 31 and 24, but they've also handled interleague play very well. 12 and 8, and like I said, they. I wish I could see what the numbers were against uh, just the NL West, but they've been very good against the NL West. Uh, Remember, they won the series against the Dodgers. They've now won the season series over the Padres, uh, three games to one. Uh, They did a good job against Colorado when they were out there. So, yeah, they've been doing very good. And against lefties, they're now 21-13. and So they've been really good against left-handed pitching. Also very good at day games. Uh, 33 and 30 at night, 33 and 26 during the day. And you know what? If we make the playoffs, chances are we're going to get a lot of day games. The national, again, the national networks, the national broadcast, actually, it's it's not even the national networks anymore. It's the cable channels that have all the playoff games, right? TBS, uh, ESPN, Fox Sports 1. Uh, who knows who else made a bid at this, you know, at this point. We're watching games all over the place, right? Apple TV. In fact, Coming up, we've got a game on YouTube TV, and then Friday night's going to be on Apple TV Plus. So get ready for that. Get to your streaming services. Figure it out again to start the Seattle series. 
But uh, chances are we're going to get some playoff day games because uh, we're not the biggest TV market, right? And they don't think they'll draw the numbers like they would by putting New York on at night. So unless we're facing New York, which very well we could be, um, yeah, chances are we're going to get a lot of day playoff games, which is actually going to bode well because we are 33-26 and when playing during the day. So, uh, yeah, Cleveland, what a series. I mean, what a fun two games of baseball. What a way to get back into it. After that two days off, right, with the rain out and then the travel day, to get back into it and sweep the Padres in San Diego. Now we head up to Seattle for a very tough series with the Mariners. The Mariners are one of the best teams in baseball right now. In fact, the Athletic in their power rankings has Seattle eighth right now. They've climbed up to eighth. And then we got to face Baltimore, who also uh, is climbing up power rankings uh, and climbing up the standings as well as the power rankings. Where do they have Baltimore? They've got them 15th right now in their power rankings. Uh, So we've got, and then we face Seattle again at home. So we've got a really tough three series in a row here uh, that are really going to have impact on the playoff standings in the American League, right? With Seattle and Baltimore both fighting for wildcard spots uh, with the Padre, with the White Sox, sorry, with the White Sox and the Twins trailing right behind them. So really is going to be some interesting positioning here over the next week of baseball for the Guardians. So MVP on the day, I got to give it up to Jose Ramirez, leading the offensive charge, the two solo home runs. He adds another RBI in the seventh inning. Uh, I mean, everybody had a good game in this one. Does everybody in the starting lineup, uh, except for Tyler Freeman, ooh, three strikeouts on the day. Everyone except for Tyler Freeman had a hit in the starting lineup. Uh, multi-hit games from Ramirez, uh, Owen Miller, Luke Maley, and Miles Straw, the bottom of the lineup delivering multi-hit games. Uh, but yeah, Jose Ramirez definitely leading the offensive charge, setting the tone with the solo home runs that we are going to hammer this guy. And he is taking home MVP on the day. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. It was a fun one. This was just a fun game. I hope you got a chance to see it. I hope you got a chance to listen or watch that fourth inning because the way we dismantled Snell in that fourth inning was just, I mean, this was classic Guardians baseball right here, really, really taking it to an opposing pitcher. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on this win over San Diego, and we'll discuss it on the show. Let me know your thoughts about coming up and facing Seattle and Baltimore, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.